Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani, welcoming you to another session of self-coaching where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. But before starting today's podcast, let me mention that if you have any questions, ideas, or requests for upcoming podcasts, please let us know at selfcoachinghelp, that's one word, selfcoachinghelp at aol.com. And now, today's podcast. Well, okay, I'm alone. Lauren's working it out to give her some time. I mean, this is a complicated world she finds herself in. But we're holding our own here, and we're going to discuss a few more topics. Today's topic, uh, I'm, I'm giving it a, a rough title called Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. Do you have trouble saying no? And I find this an intriguing topic. Uh, some people might uh, call it uh, lying or white lies, but uh, most of us, and I'm not sure if there are any exceptions, have uh, committed the grievous crime of telling white lies now and then. And most of the time, white lies are nothing more than social lubricants, you know. But let's begin with, uh, you may remember the story of Pinocchio, you know, that little wooden puppet who uh, was graced by the blue fairy and became somewhat of a wooden person. But, you know, Pinocchio being made of wood, he didn't have a conscience. So, of course, uh, he was given a conscience by this little tiny cricket called, um, what the heck was that cricket's name? <laughs> Let's see, there's Geppetto. Oh, Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> and Jiminy Cricket was, or was Pinocchio's conscience. Oftentimes, Jiminy Cricket didn't get a good hearing because Pinocchio, unfortunately, went out into the world and started telling lies. And the fairy, in all of her wisdom, told Pinocchio that if you lie again, you know, the little nose will grow. And little by little, Pinocchio's nose grew and grew. So, you know, he wasn't able to, to really uh, extricate himself from all of this until finally, after one travail after another, he recognized that it was time. So little Pinocchio represents uh, kind of the unconsciousness of lying you know, that reflexive tendency to just kind of blurt out what we want rather than what is actual or truthful. So let's not be Pinocchios. Let us uh, pull our noses back in and see what we can do today about learning, learning how to uh, tell the truth uh, when necessary. And when I say, the reason I say when necessary, because there are situations where it is necessary to tell a little white lie. For example, let's say your coworker comes up to you and says, what do you think of my new hairdo? Now, let's say you, you look at this hairdo and inside you, you say, oh my gosh, 
This is horrible. She looks like Frankenstein. But what do you say? You say, oh, very, very becoming. Wow, very nice. So we did two things there. One, we avoided chaos. We didn't hurt our friend's feeling. And we extricated us from having to reveal our true feelings. And that's the kind of white lie, I think, that we're all somehow willing to embrace. Because ultimately, we're, we're trying to not be hurtful when our truth, in fact, can be devastating. You, you may remember, I think it was 1997, the movie with Jim Carrey called Liar, Liar. Fantastic movie, if you've never seen it. Uh, as a, a birthday wish of his son was to that he would go for 24 hours without without telling a lie. And and you can imagine, like with the woman with her hair, it, it, the movie really depicts the chaos that would ensue if everything that you felt was articulated rather than glossed over or uh, more or less buffered by the white lies. So yes, the most common expression of lying would be the white lie. And typically these, these are the people that I call pleasers because one of the things about if you are a, a dyed-in-the-wool white uh, liar, you have a really difficult time saying no. So you please people. And, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's a social lubricant. You know, that's, that's, you know, do you like my hair? Yeah, not bad, not bad. It makes life go on. It makes life a bit easier. So choosing to filter out true feelings to avoid unnecessary conflict, that, that's more or less a definition of white lying. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm sure you agree with that. But can you imagine being like Jim Carrey? Just, just think for a second. Can you go a full day with telling everyone your absolute truth? I, I couldn't do it. I'm much too much of a diplomat, and you know I don't I don't like to hurt people. I have strong opinions. I guess we all do. And with strong opinions, of course, you uh, you you say what you, you feel isn't going to really hurt or cause problems. If someone says, do you, do you like the color of, of my house? I just had it painted. Well, you know, if you say no, it's horrible. What's that going to do for your relationship? And what does it do to your friend who's asking the question? So white lies, let's, let's say that more or less, uh, it, is, it isn't a bad thing. But it does become part of a more destructive and chronic habit if it starts to try to control life in others. You know, and that happens especially if insecurity is driving it. And and in a minute, I'm going to give you a story from from my book, The Power of Self Coaching. It's a case. It's a case story of Carl, who was a, a habitual pleaser. And well, let me let me read to you Carl's story because it captures more of the essence of the insecurity-driven downside of being a white liar slash a pleaser. So if, if you tend to find yourself being a bit too accommodating and uh, selling out a bit too easily and not representing yourself adequately, then your white lying may be a disservice to you 
So there's, there's two sides to white lying. Let's, let's look at Carl's story, and maybe this will become a little bit clearer. Carl was, let me just preface it by saying he was a very sensitive guy, and he was in therapy with me, and he just had to please. So he, he, he gave me this summary of a recent experience. Let me read, read it to you. And here's Carl's voice. I guess one of my biggest problems is that I can't say no. It never seemed to be a problem, at least not until recently. I've always been popular, upbeat, everyone's friend. And for the past year, I've been getting more frustrated with my life, much more frustrated. And I guess it hit the fan last summer when my buddy Peter, he asked me if I wanted to go on a cruise with him. He went on and on about this singles cruise he had heard about and how unbelievable it would be. I mean, Peter's a great guy and all, and it wasn't a terrible idea. It's just that, well, we're really very different. He'd never know that because when I'm with him, I tend to act like him. I drink more. I become more sarcastic. I even find myself acting rude and arrogant, totally out of character for me. And I do it because, well, that's a good question. I guess I do it because I know Peter would put me down if I didn't. And I guess that's the reason, but I'm not really sure. Anyway, last thing I wanted to do was go on this cruise with Peter. I didn't have the time, the interest, or the money. I called to tell him my decision and found myself saying, I'm not sure a cruise is my thing. Peter started to disregard everything I said, telling me, don't be ridiculous. This is going to be a great, a great experience. Trust me, you have to do this. And before I knew it, I was feeling pressured. It was just easier to say yes, easier on the outside. But inside, I was feeling trapped. What was I doing? I hung up and felt a burning rage. I felt flushed, angry, out of control. I wanted to call him back and undo what had just happened. The next day, I called Peter back with a list of reasons why I couldn't afford to go on the cruise. Point for point, Peter began battling me, and I found myself giving in, point by point. I hung up, defeated. Now I had no choice. There was nothing left to do except pack my suitcase. The first night on the cruise, I remember thinking that maybe, maybe I was wrong, and perhaps I just needed to give things a chance. Peter and I were getting ready for an opening night get-together dance at the ship's nightclub. And walking into that packed club that evening was like walking into a nightmare. There were about 30 guys and about three girls. So much for the heavily touted advertisement, singles extravaganza. In that instant, the writing was on the wall. Six more days, just me and Peter hanging out, drinking. By the fourth day, I wanted to throw Peter overboard. We hit rough waters on the fourth night, and for the rest of the cruise, I was sick. I mean, really sick. I stayed in my cabin, sedated by dramamine, boredom, and self-recrimination. Well, the cruise was six months ago. The only good thing about the cruise was that it opened my eyes. Since then, 
I've become aware that I live my life doing things I don't want to do. Lately, something has gone on that really concerns me. Actually, it's the reason why I decided I needed counseling. I work with another physical therapist, Helen, who is a bit pushy. Well, more than a bit pushy. She's a lot like Peter. Let's just say she's used to getting her way. I can't say I'm afraid of her, but I do let her boss me around. She's always telling me what to do and how to do it. And I just keep smiling and nodding my head while my thoughts hover around wanting to rip her head off. I'm embarrassed to say it, but I've been bad-mouthing her to some of our clients. I know it's wrong, but I just, I just want to get back at her. Anyway, about a month ago, I found myself beginning to dread going to work. I'd wake up feeling lightheaded, faint. The tension and anxiety began to grow, especially driving to work. Lately, I've been calling in sick. It really feels like I can't handle being there. Weekends, I'm fine. It's just going to work. That's what's become impossible. And when I try to rationally look at what's going on, well, it doesn't make sense. Helen is this tiny woman. She's, she's about five feet tall, late 40s, a grandmother. For God's sake, how is it possible that she can tie me up into knots? It doesn't make any sense. Okay, so you heard from Carl. Now, obviously, Carl's inability to speak his truth has become a devastating problem for him and for his life. You know, Carl didn't need a whole lot of coaching to convince him that enough was enough. I mean, he was, he was really fed up and he was starting to feel anxiety. He was starting to worry about the fact that he, he just didn't know how to take care of himself. And this is where, you know, insecurity comes in. And because of low self-esteem, insecurity, we, we tend to find ways to be or want to be safe, sometimes too safe. And, and just listening to Carl's story on the cruise, you could see that he tried, he tried to articulate his truth, but he couldn't push for it. You know, when, when push came to shove, he capitulated. You know, but when we please, what is that? Well, we're, we're pleasing in an attempt to control through deception. So, you know, we're saying yes when we mean no. And the reason situations become controlling situations is because of insecurity. Insecurity generates fear. You know, if we look at Carl and we look at pleasers in general, people that are inclined uh, to, to really uh, not be able to articulate their truth, these are usually not isolated examples. They more or less become patterns or habits. And, and that's why I use the word pleasers. We tend to, we tend to embrace these patterns and they become reflexive. You know, we don't even think about it. You know, we, we automatically, you know, give someone what they want to hear, or we try to filter it in such a way that we, we attempt to take care of ourselves, but it's, it's anemic. 
we're just afraid to really lay it out there and be ourselves. So the fact that, you know, Carl needed to appreciate that his habit, his insecurity habit was driving this reflexive, habituated response. And it was, it was a way to try to handle the conflict of confrontation. So in, in Carl's case, as we explored this, 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 as I said, was not a, an isolated example for Carl. It, it was a historical example, going all the way back to his younger days, especially his adolescent days where he was trying to be more accepted. And one of the things that Carl came to the realization of was that there wasn't much thought put into these pleasing reactions, the white lie reactions. Just like a knee jerk, this reflex manifested itself. And there was Carl winding up saying yes when he meant to say no, and always, you know, and, and I should let let's let's be clear. It isn't really a black and white thing where you either say yes or no. In Carl's case, if you recall, he was like dragged away from his truth. He he tried, but he wasn't able to stick with what was important for him. So he became a pleaser inadvertently. But the, the motor behind his pleasing was something that went way back. And this is what insecurity does. You know, pleasing, lying, we do it because we're trying to control. So you see, when you are insecure, when there's a core of insecurity, and we all have insecurity, let's be honest. I mean, it's something we grow up in an imperfect world. No one has perfect parents. Everyone experiences loss, separation, death. So insecurity is a core component in all of us. And we, we try to compensate for insecurity. We try to compensate for our vulnerabilities by figuring out how to be safer. So we might look at white lies. Uh, we might look at being a pleaser as, as being one more of those controlling strategies that tries to help us navigate, kind of sidestep our insecurity and navigate through life. Now, we might, we, I'm, I'm talking about white lies. And in upcoming podcasts, I want to also talk about gray lies. And these are the deadbeats that I want to talk about. And then there's even the black lies, the scammers. But those will be upcoming podcasts. Today, let's stick with white lies, the most ubiquitous and common form of lying. And yes, it is a lie, because anything that, that deters from our truth is got to be called a lie. So Carl teaches us that when insecurity becomes reflexive, when insecurity becomes habituated, we tend to become victims of our own habit. And where's our consciousness? Well, the consciousness has been subdued, but like any other reflex, like any other knee jerk, we, we just perform what insecurity dictates. So one of the things about self-coaching, of course, and I, I always call it active mind, passive mind. One of the things about self-coaching is that you need to develop an active mind. When things like, like what happened to Carl happen, you need to revisit these experiences and you need to realize, or at least ask the question, how much of what happened that disturbed me was driven by conscious decision-making? 
And I bet what you're going to find out is that very little of it was driven by conscious decision-making. Most of it, if not all of it, was driven by reflex, habit. And we, you know, human beings, I mean, we are habit-forming species. If it weren't for habits, we wouldn't be efficient. If you had to learn to tie your shoe every morning or had to button your shirt or blouse every day, you'd be inefficient. It would take more time. So we, we develop habits. Take parallel parking, for example. Now, there's a habit for you. I mean, I, if anyone has ever having a, had a driver's test and, and you tried to, as, as a would-be learning student of driving, and you tried to learn to parallel park, man, that took a lot of skill, a lot of effort, a lot of thinking. But over time, what happens? It becomes an habituated pattern, like tying the shoe, buttoning the blouse, and you don't think about it anymore. It's all reflexive. So we, we are efficient. We are efficient species. And habits are what we do. So when insecurity becomes a habit, it's, it's not a mental illness or anything. It's just that this is what happens when behavior becomes repeated over time. It becomes ingrained as a habit in an attempt to make us more efficient. But unfortunately, there isn't a moral essence as to what is good or bad. Habits uh, are indiscriminate. So a habit of insecurity, which may express itself as you becoming a pleaser, is something that's going to be relatively unconscious. And I say relatively unconscious because you can make it conscious. And in making it conscious, what you're doing is now you're putting it in front of you. So by making, making something conscious. What you need to do is retrieve it first. You need to develop an active mind to at least look at what's going on just beneath the threshold of complete consciousness, that, that passive mind, which, see, habits are, are, think of it as a passive mind. It doesn't require a lot of cognition or conscious thought. So these are kind of passive, reflexive, habituated responses. And we, you know, we like... Uh, I was going to say like Pinocchio, as wooden beings, we just allow ourselves to be kind of prodded along. So active mind takes a look at, especially in retrospect, you know, why did I say yes? I didn't want to go and look at Carl. He didn't want to go on that cruise. And when you scrutinize it in retrospect, you, you begin to realize that, well, you weren't really in charge at that point. Something else in you was in charge. So if it happens to be a habit of insecurity, well, then you are now in a position of realizing that you are not necessarily your habits. You have become your habits. But like all habits, all habits are learned and all habits can be broken. So with some consciousness, let's say you put yourself in the shoes of Carl. With some consciousness... What happens is that you can now alert yourself to those situations where you begin to have some indicator that you're going down the wrong path. Now, maybe that indicator will be feeling flushed, feeling kind of your temperature rising or churning in your stomach. But we do, if you look, 
If you use that active mind, you'll see that when you go against your correct self, and last week we were talking about the correct self, when you go against your correct self, there's friction. And it's the friction that can tune us into those things that corrupt us. When you live your life correctly, it's frictionless. Now, going back over Carl's story, you see that he suffered from a lot of friction. He suffered on that cruise because he was doing something not correct for him. And this is, this is the bottom line, especially if you're a pleaser, if you're a white liar. And the bottom line is that when you do things according to insecurities dictates, when you do things in order to be less vulnerable and to more or less manipulate the world in such a way to make yourself feel more in control, you run the risk of living incorrectly. And once you start going down that path, then your life becomes one. And look at, look at uh, with, with Helen, Carl's experience with Helen. You know, once once you start going down that path, you know, for Carl, going to work every day must have been torturous, as it was. So anxiety, depression, struggle, stress, these are all manifestations of living incorrectly. You don't have to, and I, and I, should, I should have brought this up earlier, the goal isn't to speak your truth and offend the world. The goal isn't to you know, try to be this courageous person who's not afraid to just say it as it is. I hate your hair. That house color is terrible. The goal, the real goal, is to not allow insecurity to dictate. Now, what that means is that consciousness, active mind, could make a decision. Yeah, this is my best friend. He just paid $10,000 to paint his house. You know, it doesn't hurt to tell him it, it kind of looks great. Now, that's a conscious decision, because basically it's not being driven by your desire to escape insecurity. It's driven by a holistic desire to help your friend feel okay. And you could make those determinations case by case. You don't ever want to be indiscriminate. You want to be discriminant. And the way to be discriminant, of course, is to be aware of your habits and once you are aware of your habits, you're much more likely to start to work on diffusing those habits. And when it comes to telling the truth, one of the facts that you will become more acquainted with is that when you become susceptible to expressing your truth in an incorrect way, the stress of living that way begins to become apparent. So, living correctly, becoming aware of your tendency to be manipulated by reflex, by habits, especially the habits of insecurity, it brings us to the greater good, which is having a life that makes more sense, that protects you and your best friends. We're not going to be, you know, just steamrolling over all your buddies and friends and telling things that, you know, we, we discriminately do not have to tell. But it, it gives you the life that you want. I mean, like Carl, once you become a pleaser, so much of your life is chewed up doing things you don't want to have to be doing. And, oh, why did I do that? You know, so let's, let's grab onto the life we have, protected from needless cruises that you don't have to go on, <laughs> although a cruise doesn't sound like a needless experience. But nevertheless, 
let's let's try to grasp the fact that our lives need to be consistent with what we are really wanting. That's the frictionless way to have the life that you want and the life that fulfills you. So going forward, uh, I do hope to get into two other forms of lying in upcoming podcasts, the gray liars, the deadbeats, and the black lies, the scammers. And if you really are interested in those, let me know. Self-coaching help at AOL.com. And visit our website, selfcoaching.net, where you could learn more about our self-coaching philosophy. And while you're there, check out my latest number one selling book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, the four-step self-coaching program to reclaim your life. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option. By definition, victims are powerless, and you are not powerless. So remember, everything is hard until you make it simple. So join me, and once in a while, Lauren, and let's make it simple together. Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold 